Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So as I mentioned earlier today, we will begin an annual mission and stewardship campaign, a three-week series. And we'll be listening to Paul's most thorough discussion on the subject of money. And that would be from 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and chapters 9. Now, Paul's problem was that the Corinthians had told him in so many words, we cannot and we will not participate in the financial ministry of the church. Have a nice day, Paul. That's a response that no pastor really wants to hear in responses to a stewardship program. And it's not that we don't understand the challenges, right? I mean, we experience the same challenges as well. Groceries are ridiculous, right? You go to the grocery store, and before you know it, you've spent 60 bucks and you haven't bought anything. Gas prices are high. There's federal laws, state laws, county laws, corporation laws, compelled to pay business tax, amusement tax, school tax, gas tax, light tax, Water tax, sales tax, so much that your brains, I'm sure, are taxed. Not to mention your wallet. We carry life insurance, property insurance, liability insurance, accident insurance, right? Along with that, tornado insurance, burglar insurance, unemployment insurance, fire insurance, and whatever else you've got. You're inspected, you're disrespected, rejected, dejected, examined, re-examined, informed, reformed, summoned, fined, commanded, compelled to provide an inexhaustible supply of money for every known need, desire, government, program, and hope under the sun. I get it. Trust me. I get it. But it's a shame to conclude that, therefore, we cannot and we will not participate in the financial ministry of the church. Have a nice day. I would say that our congregation is really good at when you ask, they respond. When you ask, they respond. I'm not here to challenge you today. I'm not here to challenge you with the law. We like that. <laughs> Whenever you challenge people, they're like, yeah, we're going you know, to meet this. We're going to hit it. I'm not here to challenge you today. Um, and I don't think God is either. Uh, God is here to kill the old Adam and raise the new man to new life. And that's what Paul did in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. So that's what I'd like to do. I'd like to kind of liberate you is really what I'm looking to do. Right? Not challenge you, but liberate you. So in 2 Corinthians 8-9, it might interest you to know, and you probably noticed yourself, that Paul doesn't bark out orders or give commands or sort of like do this, right? Instead, he relies on the Gospel to change the Corinthians' hearts because it's the only thing that does. He relies on the gospel to change the Corinthians' hearts and their potential giving habits. So consider the gospel words in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. 
Here's some of the words that we hear. Grace, several times. Fellowship, twice. Love, three times. Gift, many times. Paul never uses the word money, not even once. So we're going to see how Paul uses the gospel to address the Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 8.8 8 nicely summarizes what he is doing. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. So what you need to know about Corinth is it had great wealth. And with great wealth comes great coveting. So the city of the city itself was on the Corinthian Isthmus, which joined mainland Greece with the Peloponnesus. It's a peninsula, and it's forming in the southern part of Greece. And it's a strategic location that made Corinth the crossroads of the ancient world. Crossroads of the ancient world. Trade between east and west and between north and south passed through Corinth. Consequently, as you might imagine, Corinth became exceedingly rich. And the wealth, unfortunately, kind of created two kinds of Christians. And the problem was is that their lives were consumed by coveting. Right? And we kind of see these groups at play today as well. And it's not just Christians, it's, it's others as well. I'm sure you've noticed this. Uh, there's a group out there that has an earning aversion. What does this mean? The person says, I want stuff, I need stuff, uh, but I'm not going to take work seriously and I'm not going to take responsibility for it. I'm entitled, right? I made a bad decision, I need somebody to bail me out, right? The world owes me, the government owes me, my parents owe me. Uh, Things should just come my way. Now, the Bible warns us about this kind of attitude, and it says there's a direct relationship between the couch and catastrophe, between sloth and self-disintegration, between the refusal to go out and earn money and instead be entitled. It leads to a loss of self-respect. And so some in Corinth believe, no, it should just come my way without any work on my part. That's not biblical. Others, as you might expect in Corinth, had an earning addiction. This group worked diligently, but to their detriment, right? Because nothing is ever enough. Right? You want more, you need more, you work for more, that's the way it is. Now you do not work for dignity, you work just to feel like a deity, right? I heard last night on a show I'm watching that wealth wealth provides the opportunity not to be influenced or care about the opinions of others. I'm like, oh my gosh, boy. If you earn a lot, it allows you to feel important, entitled, influential, a little like God or maybe like a little God, right? Buy what you want, go where you want, avoid what you want, get everything you want. Do what you want, but it's addictive. It's addictive. So you roll up your sleeve and shoot for more because there's always more to be had. That's the goal. 
right? Tolstoy, a hundred years ago, told the story of a peasant whose master told him, I will give you as much land as you can keep, that you can walk around in a day. So wherever you get to, that's what you get to keep. So the peasant started running and running. And he ran so far and he ran so hard trying to get so much, but that by the end of the day, he actually died of exhaustion. Right? That's an earning addiction. An earning addiction kills people and it breaks up relationships. And it compromises ethics too, by the way. The Corinthians were reluctant to sort of give willingly because of this influence. And that's why Paul mentions the Macedonians. The Macedonian churches included Philippi, Thessalonica, and Berea. You probably remember the Bereans. Um, They were the ones when Paul proclaims the gospel. uh, They say, hey, that sounds good. Um, We're going to look at the Old Testament just to make sure that what you're saying is true. So their response to stewardship was the same thing. They looked to the Word of God. They gave willingly. They didn't feel forced or coerced. They gave willingly out of grace. Freely they have received, so freely they gave. That's what today is all about. It's about grace. right? Today's reading begins with grace. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. We've got this. As you excel in everything, see that you excel in the grace of giving. And today's reading ended with grace as well. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that through his poverty you might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9. So you might notice that what is grace centered upon? It's grace, it's centered upon Christ and what he has done. The apostle makes it clear that Jesus is Lord, that is, he is Yahweh, right? He is God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He is God. Jesus is very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. And the thing about Jesus is, think about this, as the second person of the Trinity with all glory, laud, and honor at the Father's side, uh, takes on flesh and becomes not just a human being, but a lowly human being, right? The ultimate riches to rags story. Riches to rags so that we might go from rags to riches. This is God's grace in Christ. And the other thing that that we have in Christ is knowing that as we sang in the song, that to possess Christ is to possess everything. That earthly riches pale in comparison to what we have uh, through the kingdom of God and the giving of Christ Jesus for us and to us. Jesus was a riches to rags story for our sake. For the joy set before Him gave everything, even His life, right? Enduring the cross and scorning its shame. Gave to the shedding of blood willingly, resolutely, setting His face toward Jerusalem to die for the life of of the world, so that you and I might have eternal life. We know the story. Christ was rejected and despised so that we could stand before the Father accepted and forgiven. Think about that. Christ was, it became a curse 
so that we are blessed. He was bound so that we could be free. He hung in darkness so that we could live into the light. You get the idea. Christ was acquainted with grief, right? He was his entire life. So that we could have the fullness of his joy. He was sentenced and condemned so that we could be acquitted and saved. Crowned with thorns so that we could receive the crown of life. This is grace. Christ went from riches to rags so that we could go from rags to riches and have abundant life now and eternal life in the age to come. This is kind of how it is with what God gives us. I know, I know it doesn't seem, you know, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to fathom the riches of the kingdom of God because we possess it by faith right now. And wouldn't it be nice to have something like this happen? So, one of my seminary professors um, told the story about how once he visited Kenya and he was teaching there on behalf of Concordia Seminary. I think he was probably teaching uh, other pastors, maybe. And he, and he went to an ATM machine to withdraw some money. And of course, it gives the option to what? Check the balance. And so he did. And he was flabbergasted because it said 360000 And he's like, that's impossible. That's impossible. There's some kind of mistake. But it indeed was his account. And he finally realized, after, after trying to figure it out, that the machine was giving his balance in Kenyan shillings. Instead of American dollars, okay? And at the time, the exchange rate was about 90 to 1. So how much? Four grand. Yeah. He's like, that's, that's about right. <laughs> but the truth is this for you. Uh, because of Christ, your balance in the kingdom of God is astronomical. You are heirs of the kingdom. It's not a computing error. You have all the wealth and riches of the gospel. And that is something that I hope gives you peace of mind. That's the goal. Peace of mind. And to know where true wealth comes from. He became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's why the Macedonians, and I would dare to say, we, us, you know, I said, I, we, you ask and our congregation responds willingly. That's one thing. Also joyfully. Paul writes this. Listen to this. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability. I'm not asking you to do that. Entirely on their own. But here's the interesting part. They pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in his service to the saints. Uh, extreme poverty could be translated deep down poverty. Uh, rock bottom poverty. But the Macedonians, and here's the key, don't let those problems short circuit their stewardship. 
their duty as stewards. And because of the gospel, they actually beg Paul for the opportunity to give. Normally it works the other way around, right? Where there's a soliciting or something like that. They actually beg Paul for the opportunity to give. The givers who could least afford it begged Paul for the opportunity to give. Doesn't make sense. From a worldly perspective. But the riches of the gospel change our priorities. Change us so that we give willingly and joyfully. The Macedonians, as we mentioned, also gave generously. They did not do as we expected, Paul says, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Good stewardship flows from a right relationship with God. It recognizes that every good gift comes from Him. Every good gift. The Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord because He first gave Himself to them. And because of that, it's not law, it's gospel. You can't help but becoming generous because that's what the gospel does. It moves us from Corinthian coveting and moves us to the Macedonian model. And that, Paul says, is how Christ always gives to us. That's how Christ gives to us. Always. Willingly, joyfully, generously. Willingly, joyfully, generously. So all I want would like to do is, like the Macedonians and even like our Lord Jesus Christ, thank you and encourage you to give cheerfully to God for the work of His kingdom in our midst. Like them, we do well to remember in our heart the joy set before us. Because we do have that joy of knowing the one to whom we give is the one who gives us all good things. Amen. And may the peace that surpasses all human understanding keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.